Welcome to the inaugural episode of Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm Teresa Melito connors a PhD-level self-care expert in the greater Boston area with a passion for helping others recognize the importance of caring for themselves. This is a brand new podcast where we will dive deep into the true meaning of self-care, dismantling the stereotypes and the societal ideals that make us feel that self-care is selfish and a luxury reserved for those who can afford such things. The time is now to stop the cycle of deprivation, let go of the idea of perfection, and step into the world of genuine self-care. I will teach you sustainable, realistic, cost-accessible, effective, and efficient ways to attend to your mental, emotional, and physical needs. I am so excited to take this journey with you. Today's episode is a conversation with Tristan Sapersky, a Boston-based performer and personal trainer, currently working as a patient coordinator for an orthodontics office, but more importantly, a dear friend. Tristan and I met 10 years ago when I was choreographing an award-winning production of the musical Hair, where she was a member of the cast. I immediately recognized her spirit and fearless attitude and asked her to be my dance captain for the show. Typically, a dance captain is someone who is not only a skilled dancer, but is able to help others learn the choreography and run dance rehearsals in the choreographer's absence. Basically, the choreographer's right-hand man. Tristan and I later went on to work on several shows together for both children and adults. I am delighted to chat with her today. She brings a unique perspective to talking about self-care. Great. So we're going to go right in. So I'll wait for you to finish your putting your hair in a ponytail. She is now ready for her close-up. Ready for my voice up. <laughs> Welcome, Tristan, to Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's just dive right in. So first question, can you tell me a little bit about your self-care routine? My self-care... Uh, can look like a lot of different things depending on my mood. Sometimes it's like I need to like flick off my brain and then I'll play Sudoku for, you know, half an hour or like binge watch a show, something I don't have to think about, but it engages my brain in just enough to kind of keep autopilot running. Sometimes it means working out. Sometimes it means cleaning my house. Sometimes it means doing laundry I find repetitive actions to be helpful because I think somehow it like burns off excess energy that I, I'm, I tend to have an anxious brain. So doing repetitive actions that are also helpful to my environment, I find to be therapeutic. Yeah. Excellent. It's interesting that you described several activities that you like to do and actually some of them, you hit upon the domains of self-care because in my presentations and, and folks will hear me talk about this a lot, but the kind of the 10 different domains of self-care and you already mentioned moving your body. So there's the exercise domain, the environmental domain, making sure that we're staying organized and our environment is not cluttered and chaotic because that's hard for us to relax in those types of spaces. You also mentioned a little bit about maybe some soothing strategies yeah. for yourself in having repetitive um, things to kind of make sure you're 
maintaining um, calmness for yourself. So that's great. Yeah. Do you, um, specifically, what are some ways that you like to manage your stress? Um, I find making lists helpful. Mm, I love a good to do. I list. love a list. Um, sometimes <laughs> I'll even, <laughs> this is sort of a cheat, but I will, you know, on my to-do list, I'll do something and then write it on the list after it's done and cross it out. <laughs> so you can cross it off. <laughs> All right, cool. I've definitely done yeah, that too. Yeah. Just, it's helpful to see it crossed out. I've gotten better over the years like in my time at therapy and in my time kind of figuring out different strategies for myself, um, I've gotten much better than I used to be at recognizing what stressors are actually a problem and which ones aren't. Like, for example, my cat is very loud lately because she's growing up and she's in heat now. So she's, she yowls a lot. And I used to freak out about it a few months ago. And then Mm -hmm. I learned that I could just get her out of my bedroom and shut the door. And that's fine. Perfect coping strategy. Well, and I realized that it wasn't (laughs) worthwhile to, it was, it was not doing any good for anybody to have her just be in my room and keeping me awake. Sure. So once I realized, uh, I was much better off and, uh, time management I find is quite helpful because then the part of my brain that gets overwhelmed quite easily um, doesn't really have a chance to get purchase because I'll think of all these things I have to do, and but then I'll, I'll figure out when I'm going to do them and make a schedule for myself, and then I realize, oh, it's just this thing will take five minutes. Just, just get it done. So when it comes to like your to-do list and stuff, because this is how I like to actually conceptualize my self-care routine, I'm wondering like what types of things go on your to-do list? Do you ever put like any self-care practices or stuff like that on there? Like maybe reminders to do stuff like that, or does that come more naturally? For I you? don't ever put self-care as like a task. The things on my to-do list, if they if they do end up being self-care, like for example, cleaning, I find more are just executive functional tasks, but then I get them done and it is a therapeutic thing to have that be fit to have it be done. Right. One of my favorite things to do for self-care is to read um fan fiction. And okay. like I like to read good omens fan fiction lately. That I find oh, I would never put that on a to-do list. That's something I would do if I'm if I'm waiting for my laundry to be done, then I'll open my Kindle and like start reading that or I'll, or I'll start binge watching something or I don't know, I'll play with my cat. I suppose that's interesting that I don't ever, I don't really think of it as like an assignable verb. It just kind of happens like when Mm. it does and I don't actually make time for it. It just occurs. Well, that's good. I mean, typically we don't want to view our self care as like a chore, right. Or as like a task on our to-do list. But I find for myself I I like to see it like laid out on a calendar. So I will kind of put things in like, I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes today or I'm going to journal, stuff like that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's that side of the coin is that it can be viewed as, uh, you know, a task, which perhaps might not be the best way to to go about it. But then you're also not assigning it the same weight and significance, gravity or importance as the way that you go about it by actually seeing it being a part of your day. And making sure it mm. happens. 
Yeah, well, that's the key because, of course, those are the first things that we just brush to the side when other things, uh, we have competing priorities and other things that come up. The self-care is the first thing to go out the window. You mentioned a little bit about um, your kitties interrupting your (laughs) sleep time, and I'm glad to see that you have come up with a way, a a physical barrier, so that that doesn't happen. So tell me a little bit more about how you ensure that you get adequate rest because that is another important domain of self-care. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I always got adequate rest. Well, I mean, not for nothing. She, she wakes me up every day at three in the morning. Mm. Hopefully that will be curbed soon, but I'm not as diligent as I think I could be when it comes to responsible sleeping. I suppose I could say like, you know, making sure I, I could prioritize my sleep schedule much, much better. Okay. Um, like I could physically make the choice of, okay, it's 10 PM. Go to, go to the bedroom, get in the bed. (laughs) But I, again, I guess that doesn't come to the forefront of my brain, which is, I know that it's so important to get adequate, consistent sleep. And somehow that's, it's not something that I ever, Put a ton of thought into because it, it you know it's just going to happen it's not something that I you know put a whole lot of priority into managing as well as I could sure do you find I know for myself I need a lot of sleep do you find that you can function like the recommended amount of sleep for adults is seven to nine hours do you find like you're within that range or more or less no I I'm I'm lucky if I get six hours because I'll go to bed probably like right, you know, at 1130, maybe midnight. I get up for work at 730. So if I slept that whole time, that would be great. Hmm. But Maggie wakes me up. Maggie, my cat. Perhaps you can hear her in the background. She's mewling. I think I just heard a little mew she's, there. In the she's, mew, she's mewing right over there. Um Maggie, the banshee, wakes me up at around 3 a.m. And then she's such a pain that then I'm awake for a few hours and then I'll go back to sleep and then I have to wake up. So if I slept that whole time, that would be great. But I'm probably functioning on whatever the sleep version of of being dehydrated is. I'm I'm like chronically (laughs) sleep dehydrated. Oh, no. (laughs) Which, interesting fact, most adult humans are chronically dehydrated all the time. And they just... both water and sleep. And they just live that way. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Nutrition and hydration is a whole nother domain of self-care that I don't know if we'll touch upon today. Mm -hmm. But certainly rest is, um, is very important. And I find, you know, even if I get like eight hours of sleep. Sometimes I'm still not refreshed and restored when I wake up in the morning. The last time (laughs) I'm a little grumpy. The last time I got a lot of sleep was when I got my, my second vaccine shot. Mm -hmm. I slept for 11 hours, three days in a row, which is absurd for me. I'd never do that ever. And it was fantastic. It was, your body probably needed it. Oh, it was amazing. The third day I went into my room. I was so immensely tired and I went into my room 
And Maggie was just hanging out on the bed. And I went to go schnuzzle my face into her fur. And I fell asleep face down on the bed. But like the wrong way on the bed, like sideways. And then I woke up like four hours later. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I got a snack and then I went to bed. Hey, I, that was good, though. You let your body rest. You let the vax uh, do its thing and let your immune system do what it was designed to oh, do. And it was working overtime for sure. So I want to touch upon a little bit of um, an area of expertise that I know you have as a personal trainer and as a performer. And I know that the exercise domain is very important of self-care. And we have to move our bodies. And a lot of people, you know, have some funny ideas and, and complicated relationships when it comes to movement and exercise. So I'm curious for you to share a little bit about your exercise routine and your thoughts on movement. Well, first things first, all movement is good. Correct. <laughs> and I, my exercise routines have changed uh, a lot over, over the years, kind of a lot, depending on what hobby I was into at the time. Like I did rock climbing for a while. I did archery. I did like, I forget what it's called, but Boston, like the Boston city softball league. Okay. There is one. Cool. Um, so I have, um, a smattering of random accoutrement from like seven different sports in my house. And the other thing I have seen a lot in the gym is that if you don't like the thing that you're trying to do to move, you're not going to do it. Right. You have to, you can't view it as a chore because then you're not, you're not going to want to do it. So you have to find either find a way to like it or find something you like. Like I knew someone, I trained someone once who, who he hated, hated lifting weights but eventually he found this really profound satisfaction in lifting heavier and heavier weights. So he found something in it that he liked and then he liked it. Hmm. Well, that's important, right? It's extremely, it's extremely important. Through a workout. Well, it's just like, I have a lot of friends who um, do obstacle course races and Spartan races and all, a lot of their social media, their Instagram, you know, stories and their Facebook profile, their statuses, whatnot. They'll say like, I hate running sprints. The best reason to do them today. It's like, no, no. What are you, what are you thinking? Do things you like. For example, one of these crazy people, I was talking to them and I hate taking cold, I hate cold water. I hate being cold. I hate being cold and wet. So I hate cold showers. I'm never going to willingly take one ever. And they were like, well, that's the reason to do it. It's like, oh, no, I don't think that's true. I think that's fake. And they're like, yeah. they're like no, it's really good for your brain. And it's like, actually, it makes, me, makes my brain want to stop braining. So it's pretty sad <laughs> for mine. Not good. No. I'm always stressing in my workshops, especially when we talk about exercise, because people have complicated relationships with how they move their body. I'm always telling people it's, it's joyful movement. It's such, There's no sense in doing it if it doesn't feel good. No, and it's such. it can be such a social thing. There is such stigma about size. Mm -hmm. There's such stigma about... Somehow there's such stigma about um, laziness and not uh, hustling 24-7. Like, 
not, you know, living your best life. And one of my favorite comedians said once, you know, people are always comparing themselves to people. And he says, okay, so you don't have the body of, a, of an Olympic athlete. You're not an Olympic athlete. You're Dawn from sales. You wear khakis. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, there's no, whenever I would do a Spartan race, I was never ever, or a Tough Mudder or a whatever, there's a million of them, but I'm not fast. I was never a, a winner. Like I never placed on the podium. I always finished, but I never something to write home about. I would never have a time that I would brag about. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I kind of wish I were a faster runner, but like, it's fine. And I would always come, I would, I'd get to a point in, in each race where I'd get, you know, I'd be really hungry and I'm tired and my brain's not being my friend in that moment. And I would look at these people who are like physically kind of the body of an Olympic athlete. And I think sure. like, oh, what, why, what, what am I doing? And then I would, I would be like, they don't do anything else. Those people do one thing. Right. They, instead of digging many holes where you have areas of interest, they've dug the, they've dug themselves one singular hole. That's it. That might be the title of this episode. One, one <laughs> I think we just nailed hole. it. <laughs> no, it's a great metaphor, though. And if even if we think we take that one step further and think about like celebrities and we see celebrities that are able to morph their bodies for different roles, like Chris Hemsworth as Thor and and people like that. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he gets paid but to that's... do that every day. <laughs> right. And there are t the top trainers in the world working with him with unlimited resources are, to achieve people that. People are placing right. his meals in front of him dictating when to eat what maggie's going nuts he has world-class trainers because we started talking about thor that's it that's why <laughs> he has world-class trainers dictating every single movement that he makes like he still has to do it he's still doing hard work but oh absolutely he's also not working eight hours a day in an office and then he's not commuting 45 minutes both ways there's not time enough in the day to be you know a not celebrity and to look like that there's not time in the day, especially if not if you want to have any friends or like a social right. life or any hobby. Absolutely. And for you, like I know you have lots of, of interests and holes that you've dug for yourself. Many with holes. Performing and um, you're singing and dancing and working on shows and taking care of your kitties and working a full time job and all these different areas that you do. So, yeah, chances are you're not going to place on a podium in a, in a Spartan race. No. And that's fine. I, I used to really be upset by that. Once I made that realization that like these people don't do anything else. Then I started realizing like, oh no, I prefer my way of doing things. Like the phrase, yeah. jack of all trades, master of none. People stop it there. And that indicates, oh man, I'm not a master of anything. Oh man. But the, that whole entire phrase is jack of all trades, master of none is better than being a master of one which means it's mm -hmm. good to dig many holes. For example, Thomas Kale, who directed Hamilton, the musical, mm -hmm. he, I believe, has a degree in theater, and mm -hmm. he also has a degree in American history. So Hamilton wouldn't exist, at least not the way it is, without him digging at least two holes 
That's very true. Because you have to, it's not at all detrimental to have many interests. What if I had dug one big hole and been like the Spartan master? And then I'm, something happens and then I can't do it anymore. I break my knees off. What am I supposed to do then? Right. I think it's better that we have lots of interests and that we move our bodies in ways that are that feel good and we engage in things that feel good and we abandon those that don't. Like for me personally, I don't like going to a gym. Nothing personal against personal trainers or people that like going to the gym. But for me, that environment just doesn't bring me joy. I would much rather either be outside doing something, even swimming if it's appropriate for the weather or the season, or just dancing and moving my body in a dance studio or even a five-minute dance party in my house. Like, not doesn't have to be for me to feel joy. And I've done that extreme aspect, as, as you know, and some of my listeners may also know if they've been following along on the blog and whatnot that I'm in recovery for exercise bulimia and disordered eating as well as atypical anorexia. So I've definitely done the extreme exercise I think that's called, thing. I think it's called orthorexia. No, orthorexia is um, the obsession with clean eating. Oh, like you're clean. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, atypical anorexia is when you actually are in a larger body, but you still have and meet the diagnostic criteria for anorexia, but mm-hmm. you don't meet the physical picture of what we think anorexia looks yeah. like. So it's atypical anorexia. But around that, you know, I've definitely done the extreme thing and it was not joyful. No, <laughs> I, I remember it was very, it was very, <laughs> it was very unjoyful. Well, it was very, uh, yeah, like I remember that time it was quite stressful and I feel like there was like a, a, a brimming paranoia, like, like an under, like a simmering paranoia of like, I can't do anything wrong. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was an obsession. Like it was even like beyond mm-hmm. an obsession. We, we would spend Friday nights at the gym. Like we would, we would do our like Friday friend group and go to the gym. Which I, I kind of like. Fine. That, like that, was, that wasn't the worst I of it. I kind of like, I thought was, that was a bit fun. No, I enjoyed that. The problem was all day I restricted my intake right. for food. And then I would go to um, the local boutique fitness studio I was attending, take a couple of classes. Then we would all meet yeah. at the gym. <laughs> so there was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that I was just going to the gym on a Friday night like, for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever with my friends, like that was probably the most healthy of the um, mm. activities I was doing. It was the fact that I jam-packed a couple of classes, even I would have gotten up early and maybe gone before work, mm-hmm. worked a full day, did not feed my body from a place of love, but from a place of restriction, squeezed in as many classes as I could, and then went to the gym. Like that was the the really um, disordered piece of that. My thing that I've, I tried it and tried and tried, and I just hate it and I don't want to do it ever again is yoga I hate yoga I hate it so much I know I know so tell me why tell me about that so I've ever I've only ever found one yoga class that I enjoyed and it wasn't even yoga it was just like a relaxed class it was like we were like it was it was dark and it was kind of warm in the studio it wasn't like hot but it was like nice and warm and we all wrapped ourselves in blankets and this British guy led the class and he sounded like David Attenborough. This sounds great. It was, it was fantastic, <laughs> but it's, it wasn't yoga. It was just a relaxed class. And 
That was lovely. Well, I mean, there's different forms of yoga. Was it like a restorative class or was it? I don't remember like moving literally a whole just lot in it. We just kind of laid on the floor. <laughs> it was okay. like breathing class, I guess. And that was nice because he was very soothing to listen to. It was like a sleep story. But every other yoga class I've ever been to, A, is not geared for beginners at all. No, they're usually not. I find that counterintuitive. A and B, several of the yoga classes I've been to, the teacher didn't even do it. Like they didn't demo the movement or the movement transitions. And I just had to look at the girl next to me and be like, I hope she's doing it right. Cause I'm just going to try to do what she's doing. I just, I've never been to a yoga class, like an actual yoga class with, you know, the sun salutation and etc. where I didn't feel like I was just counting the minutes till it was over. And I don't know that that was the, like I one time had a lovely instructor that was very nice and I just hated it. No. So I've tried it. Maybe I'll, I don't know. I think I just hate it. Well, that's okay. I mean, not everybody has to love yoga. It is a tremendous and very helpful um, practice to engage in certainly to help us connect our movement to breath and that mind body connection and increase our flexibility and our stamina and all that good stuff. But it sounds like a, you know, a bit of a setup because here you are walking into a class and, and everyone's got are, their spot in the thing. Right. And everybody understands the Sanskrit cues. And if the teacher wasn't modeling the, um, the poses, like how are you expected to feel good in that environment and to really be successful. So that's too bad. And I feel like a lot of folks will get themselves into situations like that unintentionally and to no fault of their own, but that's not going to be a welcoming, comforting environment to really teach you about yoga and to really let you experience the benefits. So I usually tell folks, you know, especially now with so many online options for virtual classes, you don't have to make a fool out of yourself in a public class. You can do it right in the comfort of your own home. (laughs) And, you know, but also people tend to put up a lot of barriers and feel like, you know, oh, I'm not flexible enough or I'm too old or I'm too Mm -hmm. this, I'm too that. And we put up these barriers and we're not even willing to try. And there's no shame in doing modified poses, maybe even chair poses Mm -hmm. or just some standing poses or some gentle restorative poses and stuff like that or starting small and meeting yourself where you're at before you try to advance, you know? I saw... I'm I'm not a, a big fan of of like inspirational sports posters that are like I don't know it'll have some dude drinking a, a protein shake and it's like you're only as far as your mind will take you or whatever like it'll say something dumb. <laughs> but I saw one once that was the best thing I have ever seen. It was a picture of Bebe Arnold Schwarzenegger in Austria, and he's maybe. 14, 13, he has arms like a noodle and he's like a baby. He's not got any facial hair. He's adorable, but like he's a child. And it said, we all start somewhere. And I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Like he's the, I have a, I have a, I have a, a concept that I call trophy names. And it's like, whatever, like the concept is that you're talking about there's a person that you assign to that thing. Like you'd call a smart person. Oh, what do you, (laughs) okay, Einstein. Like 
that's that's the trophy name for like smart yeah. person. Pop star for me, Britney Spears. She's the trophy sure. name. Like I would say, you know, oh, this person is like the Italian Britney Spears. She's what I assign as that thing. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is is most people's trophy name for big strong guy. And I loved that they were taking this worldwide famous person that is famous for being really huge and strong and heavy and tall and whatever. And it was like prepubescent noodly arm Arnold. I thought that was a brilliant strategy. That's the only one of those posters that I've ever seen that actually worked. Well, and I love that. That's great. Because a lot of times, you know, we just want the trophy. Yeah. We just want to be Britney Spears or Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever we're idolizing or looking up to or aspiring to be, forgetting that there was a whole journey and that there was a time right. when Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't the the person we know. Like he was we, a kid. He was that noodly kid <laughs> that wasn't all jacked um, out of his mind. And same thing, you know, with other people. That's a really interesting concept. I, I like that. Your your tro- what do you call it? The trophy trophy names. The trophy name. The trophy names. Trophy trophy like names. Uh I'm gonna see if I can find this picture for you, which will be very exciting for all your listeners. I put in Arnold Schwarzenegger young. Maybe I should put Arnold Schwarzenegger teen, but he has kids, so that might be confusing to the internet. Anyway, while I'm looking for this. So when we find this image of Arnold, if we can, we will be sure oh. to include that on the reference information on the podcast episode i mean albert einstein didn't graduate school he was a weirdo in germany and then he he just made the journey to be albert einstein right which is certainly a trophy name when we think about intelligence and smart people oh and there it is we we got it i know i know my listeners can you'll see it can't you'll see, it, see it but they will it will be posted with this episode like he looks like he could be in braces Excellent. Here we go. All right. So tell me about any particular self-soothing strategies. For example, I mentioned I enjoy uh, five-minute dance parties. That, to me, can change my mood in just a very short period of time, put on my favorite song, dance it out, and um, feel better and help soothe myself. So what do you like to do when it comes to that? Like a, like a, like a quick thing? Or, it doesn't have to be a quick thing. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, I like to, this is stupid. I don't care. No, it works um, for me. I like to go on Twitter because Michael Sheen is my favorite actor. And I follow, um, I don't know how many people I follow, but I would say 88% of the accounts are like Michael Sheen fan accounts. So it's just a bunch of pictures of him. And there's nothing wrong with that. It'll, it works a treat. <laughs> it's so good. It's instant. It's, it's, it is instant. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. A lot of times people will say, and another, you made me think of another one that I like to do, and this might seem silly to folks, but it works for me. Like you said, that lo- works for you. But I'm um, looking at cat photos. Yeah. Watching yeah, silly cat videos. Like I can't own a cat because I have allergies and asthma, and my mom's significantly um, asthmatic, so that wouldn't work. But I love Looking, they just crack me up. They're awesome. Well, and they're so cute. And when cats are being dumb, like they're so elegant and beautiful, and then they'll like miss the countertop or something, and it's so funny. 
Oh, it's awesome. And so I'll definitely like waste a few minutes here and there. So there's some websites that even have live cams. Yeah, I've been on like, them. At, um, at, like nurseries and stuff. There's there's a few of those out there that um that are awesome. And you can actually watch different animals. It doesn't have to just be cats. There's ones for dogs and and other wildlife certainly that you can watch is a great soothing technique. Oh, you know what else I like to do? This is kind what? of this is quite random, but I like to go on my iPad, so the with the bigger screen, go on my Google Earth and try to find like national landmarks without putting it in. I'll bring up uh, France and like in Paris, I'll find Paris and then I'll try to find the Eiffel Tower. Oh, fun. And it's like a it's like a little game for myself that it's just me playing. <laughs> I kind of like that and anything I think that can kind of get us out of our head for a minute and like so for you either scrolling on Twitter and looking at pictures of one of your favorite actors or having a quick dance party like I like to do or watching a silly cat video or scrolling through Google Earth to look around the world and see what's there and what we can find. I mean that gets you out of your head for a few minutes and really just almost grounds you in a way. And kind yeah. of can bring you back down into the present moment to practice some some mindfulness. Well, and in a, in a way, it's like I have adult ADHD. So I find that activities that can occupy like a white noise part of my brain do help executive function and my mood hmm. for the day. Because otherwise I feel jittery. I feel like I have too much. I got to burn something off. And so things like that that are kind of weird and random and just for me and like nothing fill that purpose that's great yeah good self-awareness well i realized why i like to have she sorry my cat maggie is just running ragged around the house because she's blooming currently she's yes she's being quite rambunctious um i'm uncomfortable in like silent rooms and quiet places i i I'm very uncomfortable unless I have some kind of dimulus. Hmm. Unless I'm extremely focused in an activity. So if I'm doing something, like puttering around the house or whatever, I'll put on a movie that I've seen a million times. And just the noise of it fills that, fills that part of my brain that needs to calm the static. And then I can go do whatever I need to be doing. And I realized that Oh, that's why I have a, a like a movie on all the time. That's why the TV is always playing something. And I'm not even paying attention to it. I just need it to be there. Hmm. I need it to fill that gap and serve that purpose so I can actually be a functional person and do do my tasks. Sure. I think that sometimes I'm like that and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I do really need the silence and then other times I can be productive if there's just like noise even if it's music that I'm passively paying attention to or maybe a, a YouTube movie or, or something like that or even a podcast that I have on in the background or something like yeah. that that I'm, that I'm not trying to to focus on um, I can do that too that kind of multitasking but just letting that that like white noise like you said yeah. kind of happen in the background as a way to focus well I'm like I like listening to stuff to go to sleep. I enjoy those 
sleep apps. Some of them play noises. Some of them are like, one of them has Kate Winslet reading like a bedtime story. And it's, that's mm. so good. That one's t- 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's called, I think that's the, con- is that it's calm? calm? And they yeah. have a thing in calm called sleep stories. And she, Kate Winslet reads this really nice one about Thomas, the tank engine at Christmas time. And it's just Aww. so ah, chef's kiss. For, for our listeners, but because I could never go to sleep. However, in grad school, I needed to take a class where we practiced, uh, it's called Alexander Technique, and it focuses on um, body alignment and connection to breath. And in this class, we had to lay on the ground and practice breathe just breathing in and then immediately breathing out and then immediately breathing in no vacuum no stopping just a continual movement of breath which i learned at age 28 is the way people are supposed to breathe the human body is supposed to constantly be either breathing in or breathing out you're never supposed to just be doing neither of those things <laughs> so, which is not I would breathe out and then wait not on purpose I wouldn't like time myself but like I would not breathe in until then I needed to but in this class it would be breathe in breathe out breathe in breathe out you know slowly you're not hyperventilating but he would constantly have to the instructor would constantly have to like wake us up because some we would start to doze And I I was like, why do I get tired in this class? Like, it's a dark room. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's, he's soothing to listen to, but like, why am I sleepy? And then I realized that's how sleeping people breathe. Sleeping people breathe in, out, in, out, continuously. There's no vacuum because you're not awake and you don't have any anxieties in your awake breathing to bug you in your sleep. So then I did an experiment where I was like, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm in class and like set myself up aligned correctly and whatever. And now I'm in class and I'm going to breathe like class, but I, you know, I'd be in bed and it worked like a charm. And I realized, you know, I don't have to like trick my brain into being relaxed if I breathe like a sleepy person breathes, my brain's going to get tricked into being like, oh, is it, are we sleeping? Oh, okay. <laughs> my, my bad. We'll be sleeping now. Okay. It honestly worked like a charm. And I'd recommend it any day. Breathe like a sleeping person breathes slowly, but continuously. It's amazing. That's awesome. That is a great tip for our listeners. And gentle stretching, Deep breathing practices or breathing like Tristan was sharing can definitely help promote better sleep. You should go back to doing that breathing, Tristan. I know. I I wasn't breathing that entire time. But go back to doing it before bed. I should. (laughs) That reminds me of, do you remember in date night when Steve Carell was saying like, are you breathing? I need you to breathe. Are you breathing? And she goes, only in. I don't think we actually made it through that movie, it's, which was unfortunate because I like Steve Carell. It's so and good. isn't it Tina Fey? Yeah, yeah. I find I hold my breath a lot. Yeah. And I've been trying to get better at that. I think but most if, people as soon do. as I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, lifestyle and stress and different things 
we're naturally born nose breathers where we breathe this in and out continuously. Like that's how babies breathe through their nose. And then like lifestyle and stress and different things, we, we tend to then breathe Society. through our mouth and that's, yeah, and that's not as healthy for us. So that, that's a whole thing we can talk about in a later episode. But um, I tend, I notice like even when I'm in yoga classes, I've been doing yoga virtual um, with my cousin, who's a yoga instructor all throughout this pandemic. And um, my mom does it with me. And because sometimes she'll she'll say like she'll comment on things and I'm like, well, were you breathing? And she's like, well, no. (laughs) And I'm like, well, no. And like, but I have to constantly like remind myself to breathe. Well, you know how the thing for if you're if you're freaking out about something is is okay, okay, breathe, breathe. And if that change in breath makes you calm down or or you just or suddenly you decide to like take some deep. You're, or you're angry and and you're just you're just like and like that calms you down. That means that you were not doing that, and that's right. everyone. Yep, I'd say probably from gym experience, I would say that I literally would say about eighty five percent of working adults do not breathe. You know, I don't mm. want to say correctly, but like they hold their breath. And you can tell if you hold your breath in exercise because you'll just do it. And then your face will turn the color red. And uh, I'm wondering for our, for our listeners that are listening to this episode, are you breathing right now? Listening? I literally wasn't just then. <laughs> I've been catching myself as we're talking. Yeah. Like, am I still breathing? I am breathing. That's good. No, make sure that you, um, you do that. It is really important. And I always say in my sessions when I'm, when I'm teaching a, a workshop on self-care or something like that, that like a deep breath, two or three deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, cleansing, deep breaths, so quick, efficient and effective and free way to just almost immediately calm your nervous system. And really promote that sense of calm. So that's excellent. Thank you for sharing your experience with that. I enjoy the app called Headspace. Oh, that's another good one. Yeah. Yeah, The meditation. The icon is a white square with an orange circle in it. And it's just, it'll, it'll go to my watch and my watch will say a minute of deep breathing can, can help you for the rest of the day. And I, one time I was like, okay. And I clicked it. And it like has a thing that kind of goes in and out for when you're supposed to breathe. It's, it's right. It's correct. Absolutely. No, that's a great app for folks to use even to learn to meditate because that one actually starts you off small with, I think like two minutes or three minutes. And then over time you can build up to longer meditation practices. So that's an excellent one. And I know some of these apps even provide um, free subscriptions if you are um, working in education or if you're a teacher. So if there's any teachers listening, you may be able to score free subscriptions to Headspace and Calm, which is pretty cool. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Tristan, for all of your insight and willingness to share about your experiences and your self-care routine. I very, very much appreciate it. Of course. And I I know that our listeners will appreciate it too when we launch this episode. So thank you again for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Bake Stuff Shrimps Big Titty Podcast outro. Take one. Tristan had so much to share with us and lots of takeaways. 
First, I enjoy how she described that self-care can look different depending upon your needs across the various domains. That is so true and important to remember. You must get in touch with what you need and want first before you can attend to it. And what works for someone else may not work for you and vice versa. I tend to be type A and I'm very visual. I need to see things for them to click in my brain or hand up losing focus. A typical Piscean dreamer through and through. So I find that really structuring my self-care helps me to be successful. If you find yourself struggling with sleep, you may want to check out an article I was featured in that provides great tips for better sleep, which is linked in the episode notes. And also look into sleep stories on the Calm app and the Alexander Technique for breathing to promote more restful sleep. And remember, it's okay to move your body for fun, and please stop comparing yourself to others. I will say, it was a little heartbreaking to hear my friend Tristan talk about my eating disorder days. We've really not discussed that too much previously, but she's 100% correct. It was an obsession, and I was so fearful of gaining weight for very real reasons that it was crippling. It was not until I sought help that I realized just how sick I was. At some point, I can share the gorier details, as even those closest to me were not privy to the extent of my destructive behavior. But I also love the idea she talks about with digging multiple holes. Sometimes we get so focused on one thing, we forget that there's a big world of opportunities out there. If I dug only one hole, I definitely would not be where I am today. I have so many interests. I also love the concept of the trophy name. We all have these ideas of excellence in our minds, and we forget that there's people with lives that existed before their fame, and that there was an entire journey, maybe, that we did not see. Arnold did not wake up one day as the Terminator. There was a life and a journey that led to the man we know today. Tristan also highlights the benefits of quick, short self-care practices, like a minute of deep breathing. We tend to brush these off quickly as how could they possibly be helpful, but they are. Just a minute of deep breathing can make a world of difference. I mean, what have you got to lose? Give it a try. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and remember to subscribe and rate this podcast on your preferred player. The ratings help us grow and share the message of self-care. If you have comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out directly by emailing podcast at drmcselfcare.com. That's drmcselfcare.com. And come join the cast party at Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. MC's Self-Care or on my website, drmcselfcare.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and love me across all my social media platforms for the most up-to-date information on self-care. See you next time. Stay well and do good. 